This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast with Alex Trateris, John Malika, and Ricey on the beat. Let's go. What's good, everyone? Alex Chateras here with another Knicks episode of the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. So, as always, my buddy, my coach, my pal, the man with a plan, the man who's gearing up for New York Knicks basketball after coming back from London, watching a heartbreaker. Bro, you know, who he is. The one and only, bye week, bro. Dumb week, <laughs> and we'll somehow find a way to lose this week too, even though it's the bye. <laughs> What's up, man? What's up? I don't need to talk about the green and white. I know our guest is a Jets fan. We'll we'll get his insights on it later. But this is my bye week, man. This is my week. I don't have to think about them. My favorite week of the Jets year. Every single year. We, we cannot mess it up. Even though already the rumors from Marcus May are coming up. But I digress. Everything is good. Next, <laughs> next preseason. We're, we're here. Taj Gibson, our number one center, ready to go versus the Pistons tonight. Right? When, when, when this episode drops. I mean, everything is good. Good to go right now. How are you? Eh, I'm good. Big man. week, huh? Another, you got a big another, week? Uh, you could say that. You could say it's a big <laughs> week. Uh, gonna have a lot of fun this weekend. Uh, you know what it is. <laughs> but anyway, we got a phenomenal guest for us today. All right. We got the editor in chief of the Strickland, co-host of Locked On Knicks. Now also a writer for Clutch Points for Knicks. Uh, what would they call it? Knicks Nation over there for Clutch Point? Is that what they yeah, call it? Yeah, that's, that's the official name. I don't know. I just say Clutch Points. But yeah, I mean, they're the, like the makers of the most entertaining photoshops on the planet. So that's you know, a fact. A, yeah, that's a fact. And if you know that voice, you know who it is. We got Alex Wolf with us today. You all probably should know who this man is. You've seen him guest appear on Knicks Fan TV, uh, Knicks Film School. You know, you hear him on the Strickland podcast. You know, he was from posting and toasting. Come on, guys. Yeah, Alex, I've been around a little bit. How you doing, man? <laughs> you list it all out like that. I mean, it's a lot of shit. I mean, oh, I'm I mean, sorry. Do we curse on this podcast? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Uh, don't oh, worry, good. Don't all worry. right. Yeah. By the way, come on, in. man. Your, your 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 Twitter bio says it. Only talk Knicks, except when I don't. And, yeah. I, and so I think it. I think it's self explanatory that all you do is talk Knicks, and you're all around Knicks Nation, Knicks World, Knicks Twitter, everywhere, man. Love your work. Love what you do. Love the content you put out. Know you're a hardworking dude because I can only imagine what it's like being the editor in chief and doing all your other positions. So kudos to you, man. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm a little sleep deprived. If, uh, you know, again, you know, to just spell that all out, I'm like, you know, yeah, I have been doing quite a bit lately, I guess. Uh, season snuck up on me, but you know, now that it's here, I'm, I'm ready for it. Um, you know, I've just been getting back in the flow, you know, with locked on Knicks. We went back. We have a, we have a nice cushy off season schedule where we get to do like three episodes a week if we want. We still did around like four most weeks, but now we're back up to five episodes a week and. Uh, yeah, all the Strickland stuff. It's, it's a lot, but it's, it's fun. And I'm looking forward to this season. I mean, the, what's really nice is that I'm not doing all this in another, you know, projected 15 and oh, 62 season or whatever the hell, you know, or if it, what would that work out to 15 and 60, you're not, 67? You're not covering uh, the Jets. We got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing any Jets coverage. So, you know, that's, I'm glad that I can just kind of forget that they exist once the Knicks are back. Uh, same with the Mets too. I'm a Mets fan and just, you know, just uh, not a great year between those two teams this year. Um, somehow but at least Knicks, things maybe will be looking are, 
how is that possible that right now you're talking about the Knicks in the most positive light of all sports teams right now? Not even the condensing it to sport. <laughs> Leon Rose, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's who we got to thank, right? I mean, it's it seems like it's pretty much all thanks to his grand plan here that the Knicks are now where they're at. And, you know, it's I, I, I've been like blown away by I only got to see bits and pieces of the the game on uh, Saturday because I was I was actually doing another New York thing. I was at Comic-Con on Friday and Saturday, Ooh, nice! And which was pretty fun. But so I only got to see bits and pieces of that game. But like the first game, I mean, it's just the the movement and the the shooting and just everything. I mean, they finally built a roster that that works again. Which is nice. I mean, it it reminds me so much of like twelve thirteen, where you could tell that they're just going to jack up threes all freaking day this year, and they're going to hit a really good percentage of them. Like, I think this is going to be a really really fun year. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's talk about this pre the two preseason games we've had so far. When this comes out, uh, it'll be the day of the uh, Knicks playing uh, the Detroit Pistons, but. What do you, Alex? I'm going to start off with you. What, what do you, what do you think of the first two preseason games that we've had that we've seen so far? The New York Knicks. You talk about the ball movement. You talk about uh, the increase in three point shooting, which we haven't seen since the 2012-2013 team, which was number one in three point attempts that season. So, what, what are your thoughts overall about this team? I think they're perhaps being slept on a little bit. Um, I think that everything seems to be coming together about as well as we could have expected. Um, I, I think that, you know, my initial expectations were that there would be a little bit of a learning curve because you always expect that when there's a bunch of new teammates joining together. I mean, certainly we've seen that with the Knicks for a, a long time. I mean, the Knicks like for like a decade, you know, they turned over, you know, 70% of their roster every year, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in some failed attempt to get better quick. And this time around, actually, the more you th- think about it, like, they really didn't do that much turnover this year. Um, pretty much the, the main two moves that they did was, you know, other than things around the margins, which don't matter as much, you know, uh, shout out to like Theo Pinson, who is awesome, but you know, his loss is not a huge loss here other than for the morale category, but like on the court, they, they really, they kept things pretty similar. You know, you just replace Fournier or sorry, replace Bullock with Fournier and replace, of course, Alfred Payton with Campbell Walker, which is like maybe one of the biggest upgrades in Knicks history. Um, but other than that, there's a pretty good amount of continuity. So I think we're kind of seeing that play out. Like these guys, a lot of them know each other's spots already. You know, uh, Taj is familiar with what's going on on the floor and, and can step right in as the starting center in a preseason game. And, you know, the team doesn't skip a beat. And Julius and RJ obviously have their great chemistry that they've flashed already. Um, you know, dating back to last year, it, which is is still so cool that they did manage to reach that point and, and that they're at that point now after we, you know, RJ's rookie year and Julius's first year on the team, so many fans disliked Julius because they felt that he was freezing RJ out, you know, that he and Alfred were playing like buddy ball. And then last year it just totally got flipped on its head and it was like Julius and RJ were best friends <laughs> and Alfred was kind of getting frozen out. Um, so it's cool to see how their dynamic will continue to grow, but like Kemba and Fournier are pros. Like, so they're just going to step right in and and do what they're asked to do, I think. And, you know, I I think as long as they can stay and and keep healthy, that they're, they're going to be a lot better than I think people thought. And, you know, I know there's some expected regression, you know, with the three point shooting and stuff, because I mean, they did, I think I don't have it in front of me, but I think the Knicks had four 40 plus percent 
three-point shooters last year, if you count just Rose's time uh, with after he came to the Knicks. But if nothing else, it's somewhere close to that. Um, and I mean, that's obscene. That's like, that's a lot of good shooting on the team, even if they didn't shoot the most uh, attempts of them. Yep. But like, you know, it, when you have a team with that many shooters that are coached by a coach that I think has done pretty miraculously in adjusting, you know, things that people said that he wasn't going to adjust, mm-hmm. um, you know, his defensive scheme, I think is now much more focused on getting, getting guys into the middle and also being willing to concede three pointers to bat at three point shooters and stuff like that. You know, there's all these little tactical things. Yeah. Playing rookies, playing second year players, you know, not being afraid to do that anymore, which was like a, a big knock on Tibbs. Um, I just, I think as long as they stay healthy, you know, there's going to be regression all around the league, not just on the Knicks because everybody's not going to be shooting in empty buildings anymore. And I think people keep forgetting about that when you're talking about just the Knicks. And so I think that relative to the rest of the competition in the league, they're still going to look really good from three and they're going to be shooting more of them this year. And I, I think that if I was going to set like a ceiling for it, I might actually, with all the tumult going on with last year's top two teams in uh, the, not obviously how the final standings worked out, but, you know, in the regular season last year, top two teams were the Sixers and the Nets. Obviously so much going on there right now <laughs> yeah. with both those franchises. You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if everything went right for the Knicks, they might end up like a three seed this year um, and might actually improve upon last year. And now I, I don't know if it's necessarily realistic, but I, I do think I'm, I'm basically, I'm setting expectations somewhere between the three and six seed. And I don't see any way they fall below six. I just, I think there's too much talent there short of some catastrophic injuries, uh, at least but, to me. Where does that, where does that bring your win total? Uh, 50 plus, I guess wow. it would be. Oh, he's beating I, me, Alex. Because uh, <laughs> I got I got fifty, and Alex been like, "Oh, you're crazy." I've I've been Holito's been holding me to my fifty burger uh, <laughs> all, all, all preseason. Alex is, has what do you have? Forty seven? Forty eight. Forty eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I I, I didn't go through and do like the one by one thing, but I think I would probably yeah. come in somewhere around fifty if all goes according to plan. I think yeah. that would be about where I'd be too. I, I mean, going off your last article, right? For clutch points, mm-hmm. you already talked about Kemba and how he. Obviously, is one of the biggest upgrades in Knicks history from point guard, but also one of the best starting point guards we had. However, I mean, we, there's also there's the injury stuff, which there's no speculation there. It's just whatever happens, happens. You just have to see it through. But what I thought was interesting was your comments about Fournier uh, and how that's really like the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you why why do you think that Fournier is the perfect fit into this team and kind of what's the difference between that and Bullock? Because there's been this whole, I don't know where it came from, but as soon as you leave, you know, the Knicks, you automatically, your stats just go up, right? Like all of a sudden you're like your NBA, like 2K stats, just like rise up. All of a sudden Bullock was the best defender ever. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. he was a lights out shooter. Like, I don't know where that was. Like, <laughs> I don't know where that happened. So what do you like? Where, where's your, what are your thoughts on Bullock leaving? And where do you think that, Fournier is going to be able to like why is he the perfect fit to replace him so I don't think Bullock's a bad player by any stretch of the imagination I mean actually like to your point son you just said like I actually do think you could reliably call him a a knockdown shooter last year I mean he was very consistently shooting like 50% in various games you know on high 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 volume and you know if he got real hot he got like like real, real hot. You know, he's, he's definitely, he's a fantastic spot up shooter. As far as his defense, I mean, I think he was made 
to look a little better by Tibbs' scheme. Um, you know, I, I, he was often entrusted with some of the best players on the other team, and I think he did an admirable enough job with some of them. I mean, nobody can really guard Trey Young all that well. Um, that's just a fact of life, unfortunately. You know, nobody can really lock up Damian Lillard or Steph Curry or someone like that. That's what it's the reason why these guys are like the best scores in the NBA or some of them, uh, is that they're pretty much impossible to like fully lock down. So you just kind of do what you can against them. And I think he did fine with that. And I think he's a, I think he's a good enough defender. Um, but I, I think that he maybe got a little too much credit as like a one on one shutdown defender that, you know, is, is the guy that's going to put someone on an island or whatever. And I also think that you don't necessarily need that in, in Tibbs's. Uh, scheme here. And also, I think RJ Barrett is looking like he's probably ready to step into that number one defender role, which hell yeah. He, hell he yeah. Said, I love that. Yeah. I mean, he said it over the, over training camp and then showed it in that game against Washington. He made Beal's life hell. And Beal is one of the best scorers at the wing and guard position in like the entire mm-hmm. NBA. So, you know, just like pure scorer wise, you know, he's probably. If you're just talking about a guy that can put the ball in the hoop, he's probably at least like top six or seven or so. Um, it, not considering all aspects of his game, you know, and all aspects of everybody else's game. But like, you know, that's a fantastic score that can drop 30 on any given night. And I think his average 30 at a time in his career and RJ, you know, sh- shut him down. But it, to go to Fournier now, he does so many of the things that like, I know at least like unlocked on Knicks, I feel like I made this point 10,000 times, but the, one of the biggest things that, really killed the Knicks in that series against the Hawks was that the Hawks have one of the worst defenders in the NBA in Trey Young in their starting lineup that plays big minutes for them. And they were able to hide him on Reggie Bullock. And it was, I mean, it was so obvious that that was exactly what they wanted to do right from the start. You know, they had no interest in, in having Trey guard Derek Rose or quickly or anyone that could potentially burn him off the dribble. They stuck him on Bullock because they knew that, Bullock like can't dribble and you know it's I look I, you know I say this in terms of NBA stuff obviously if you put yeah. Reggie Bullock on a, a court with the three of us he would whoop our asses you mm-hmm. know and, and would would cross us up and, and do whatever he wanted but on NBA court he can't take more than a few dribbles before the ball is almost taken out of his hands mm-hmm. and that is so different from Fournier and I mean even just from minute one in that preseason game that's the biggest thing is that Fournier has creation ability. You know, he's not think of, I mean, I know that you can envision this play, right? There were so many times where Randall and Bullock would run quick motions for each other, right? One of the most popular ones that they would do would be Randall would start dribbling the ball, like across the court uh, around the three point line. And then Mm -hmm. would basically like set a screen and simultaneously hand off to Bullock coming around his side and Bullock would pull up for three. But if that play ever got busted up, and the guy got over the screen and stayed with Bullock, Bullock was like dead in the water. You know, he wouldn't know what to do. He would, he would try to put it on the floor for one second and then panic. And then eventually have to find Julius again. And then Julius is stuck with, you know, maybe eight seconds left on the shot. clock. Yeah. Yeah. And and just essentially, okay, figure it out, you know, and then you get some of the, the less good Julius attempts, you know, that he's, they're still not all perfect from him. You know, that's when you would get those less savory attempts from him. With Fournier, it's so different. I mean, I saw them literally in the first preseason game running those plays immediately, you know, where it, it was almost like I described this on, on Locked on Knicks as it was almost like if Bullock was watching it, he must have felt like a, 
like a scorned ex lover or something, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because they, they were running the same exact plays, you know, where it was Julius comes up, sets that little screen, Fournier takes it. But then when Fournier would get caught in the headlights, he wouldn't freeze. He would just be like, okay, I'm going to put the ball on the floor and I'm going to use the screen in a different way and start trying to get into the lane. And then we've already seen that play out in multiple different ways where sometimes he hits a cutter. So, you know, after someone comes in to try to, to try to stop him at the rim, sometimes he kicks it right back out to Julius if both guys overhelp trying to get in on him. And then Julius gets a wide open three, which like, I still don't know if he understands what to do with wide open shots yet. Um, he'll get there as the season goes on, but he's so used to just taking like contested everything because he has to create it all for himself. But that that's the big difference to me with Fournier. Literally, it's just that one skill, put the ball on the floor and be able to get to the rim or at least pretend like you're getting to the rim, you know, at least move around and, and also be able to pull up on the run, you know, all this stuff. I mean, Fournier is just a really talented 18 to 20 point per game NBA scorer at his best, uh, who does it on pretty good efficiency and, you know, has effectively at times in his career functioned almost like a star player for, for like the magic, for example, where he was their go-to scorer, especially in the playoffs when like Vucevic would get more taken out of games you know, Fournier had to be like the guy and he's, he's proven that he can do that to a degree. Um, although he kind of gets, he, he kind of has a rep of being bad in the playoffs, but I just, you know, I feel like that's mostly due to being over, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like over relied upon in his role, uh, with the magic and then just sort of being generally uncomfortable with the team and the scheme and everything in Boston last year, I think is why he had a real hard time there. Uh, because it was just, he came there mid-season, he got COVID, he was out for like three or four weeks, finally comes back, he gets all of like 10 games, and then it's the playoffs against the freaking Brooklyn Nets, where like literally, you know, they were the number one yeah, title worst matchup, po- Yeah, worst matchup possible for him, especially when you come back from COVID too. And also exactly. for like that team too, like you're talking about, he's another wing in a system that already has two all-star wings with Jalen Brown and like Jason Tatum. Like, where do you find time for you like trying to play with those guys, it's just too many wings on the court at once. Or even like when you're coming in for like the second unit, you've had, hadn't had enough time to get enough reps with those guys. It's not going to be easy for anyone. And, you know, I'm going to transition to this point because you brought it up too. And it goes really well with your article for point number three is that making life for Julius Randall easier when he has these wide open threes. Um, Yeah. What do you think for Julius, man? Like, what do you think for like Randall, like coming in here, like he has like so much floor spacing now. Like, yeah, you talk about Kemba, you talk about Evan Fournier, mm-hmm. who's able to put the ball on the floor and just open up everything for not just Randall, but everyone on the team, like RJ and once Mitch or even Noel comes back. But do you think Julius, are we going to see like a uh, uptick in Julius's numbers or you think he's going to be just more efficient in general? My hope, and this might sound weird, is that counting stats wise, at least there's not an uptick in Julius's numbers because I hope that he'll be able to play less minutes. So I hope that by virtue of having a year older Obi Toppin, who clearly seems to have made his own strides. I mean, Obi has looked fantastic so far through summer league and through the first bit of the preseason here. You know, maybe you now reach a point where Julius can start playing 33 minutes a game instead of like 38. And over the course of a season, that adds up. You know, that's that's like uh, what five times eight. That's like almost 500 minutes less, you know, or let's say like 400, a little over 400 minutes less, I guess, is how much huge, that works out to. Huge for the playoffs. Yeah, huge. I mean, it, it keeps his legs healthier. It reduces risk of injury. Granted, you know, Julius plays in such a way that I think is intentionally designed to not get injured because he's a very good athlete and he, he doesn't flash it that much with verticality and things like that. He keeps himself mostly grounded 
And I think it's because he understands that's, that's what's best for his health. Um, but, you know, that, that goes all the way back to his rookie year. I mean, mm-hmm. when he freak broke his leg, you know, I think he just kind of learned to keep himself more ground bound after that. Um, but as far as his, you know, percentages and stuff go, I mean, I don't necessarily know that I expect a, an uptick because I mean, my God, last year he shot so good. I mean, it was like mid range. He almost shot like 50%, which like just doesn't happen anymore. Um, three point he shot, you know, over 41%, I think was the final number. Um, and then, you know, the free throw line in the, in the eighties like that. I see all that potentially happening again, maybe with a slight downtick, but I think a lot of people, especially because of the playoffs and how flustered he looked kind of thought like, Oh, this is because of the crowds and not just because of like, you know, he was being keyed to like crazy in very subtle ways that made it really hard for him to get good shots off. Um, so, you know, I, I think that he's still going to shoot fine. And I think that maybe there'll be a little bit of a downtick because I think the whole league is, you know, I, I alluded to this a minute ago, but I think the whole league is going to have a bit of a downtick because of fans being back and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But um, I, you know, it, I wouldn't be surprised if he still shot 45% overall, close to 40% from three and, you know, mid eighties from the free throw line. And, and I think that would be great. And the best part is, is that a lot of that's going to be a lot easier for him. Um, you know, he won't have as much of a downtick in the three point shooting as some other guys might that do a lot of self creation and stuff like that because, he's going to not have to create so many of them. You know, we've already seen him working with Kemba Walker as the roll man and the pop man again in the pick and roll and pick and pop, which is something we had, we hadn't really seen too much of since like new Orleans with him. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's obviously a much better player now. And I mean, he's, he's going to get so many of those open looks with guy with Kemba, with Fournier, with, you know, he, he could even run those like reverse pick and rolls with, uh, with RJ or Fournier or whoever he wants, someone who's big enough to take a screen like that and, you know, maybe get to the rim more himself that way. There's just, there's going to be so much more room on the floor, I think for him this year compared to last year. And and we've already, we already saw it in that first preseason game when he played, like it almost seemed like he didn't know what to do with himself. Like I'm sure (laughs) if you could have gone into his brain at that moment, it would have just been like a giant smile. And that was all he could, all he could even (laughs) think of, you know, because it was just, he was so like, he looked so free to me on the floor out there. And I think that's, that's sort of a foretelling of, of what these additions are going to do for him compared to, you know, the limited, but good shooting Bullock last year, the complete zero on offense, Alfred Payton, uh, plus RJ Barrett, a year older, a year wiser, a year better. Um, and hopefully Mitchell Robinson coming back to give that, that gravity right around the rim. Uh, I think we're, we're in for a treat as far as like Julius is, uh, Julius's responsibilities on offense this year. I think they're going to be a lot less, which will actually be a good thing. That's, no, a, that's, a, that's a good take. Yo. That's a, I'm just like, I'm so, I'm, I'm really happy that the Knicks have finally, like you said, Leon Rose, right? In the beginning of this episode, <laughs> like I'm so happy that we finally uh, have caught up to the modern NBA where we're playing mm-hmm. defense. You know, we have like centers that just want to get the rebound, like get those second chance opportunities. We finally have a point guard. And I, I guess we're going to live and die by the three, right? I guess that's the modern NBA, but I'm worried, man. Like you seem so confident about that, but I'm, that actually worries me. Like RJ Barrett sitting in the corner, you know, having the NBA record for threes, Julius Randle at damn near 50%, you know, from three point line. Like, isn't that going to, you know, kind of regress back to the norm of like kind of like closer to 40? 
Oh, yeah, but I mean, thirty ish. Like I, that, that stuff worries me. Like, are, are you? How about this? Uh, let me let me ask both yeah. of you this. Are you guys confident with the Knicks' strategy to live and die by the three? I, I'll let you go, Alex. First, if you want. Are you talking about yourself? <laughs> Not specifically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are we gonna How are we gonna differentiate that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> trust me. I when we had uh, Macri on here the, the first time, I was like John, and you're like yes. And I was like oh. <laughs> I was like this is tough. Uh, I'll just we'll just call you Wolf for for right now. How about That's that? fine. That's good. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like everyone calls you Wolf too, right? A lot, a lot of people do call me that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's it's a nice last name. It, it flows. No, it's, it's a great it's one last syllable. Name. <laughs> great last name. It's an awesome animal too. Like Wolf it is. is awesome. I agree. Yeah, You're a badass animal. So thanks to thanks name. to the last name, I'm a big fan <laughs> of the animal too. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think to answer your question, John, I don't think the Knicks are necessarily going to live and die by the three. I don't think it's going to be like the Daryl Morey. We're going to just shoot threes and just get to the rim. I think Tibbs is too smart to understand to give up the the mid range. I mean, we just saw the NBA finals with the Bucks and the Suns where the mid-range is still useful. You know, you can still watch the Clippers where the mid-range is still useful. The, the, the mid-range is not dead. Um, so I don't think we're going to see this crazy uptick where it's like, all right, we're just going to take a bunch of threes and then have Julius Randle just hang out down low by the rim or just, you know, if he's going to shoot a three, he's just going to be down by the rim. I think when you watch the first preseason game and you see Kemba Walker pulling up for a mid-range jumper, when you see RJ pulling up for <laughs> mid-range jumpers, like, it's just the effect, it's just an effective way to create that three level spacing to keep the defense guessing, right? And if you don't know where someone's going to take their next shot, that means you have to truly honor them at all three phases. And keeping a defense on their toes is just the number one scheme to get it, to creating offense. So I don't think there we're going to see anything uh, too like crazy, like to live and die by the three. I think you see just a well balanced attack where three pointers are now actually going to be utilized on this team. Like, as Wolf pointed out, uh, we had four 40% shooters. We had uh, Bullock, we had RJ, we had Randall, and D-Rose. You know, D-Rose wasn't necessarily a high-volume three-point shooter, but still, like, efficient when he took threes. And now when you add guys like Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, who are talking about guys who are closer, either at the 40% three-point shooting as well, and can just also create for themselves, it's just – it's a different level of just – creating offense than just what we saw last season where it was just, all right, here's some spot-up shooters. Randall's our only guy that can create or Burks, you go create something or Rose, you go create something. I think we're really going to see We literally lived and died by Burks during those days, huh? Yeah, there were definitely some days where it was (laughs) live and die by Burks. Yeah. I remember that. Please make a play for us, man. Like, we don't have anyone else. Like, I (laughs) specifically remember those games now. I mean, you want to talk about a throwback. Think about how long ago this feels. Even though it was literally this calendar year, think about the the Austin Rivers Jazz game where oh, he scored man. like thirty points. I mean that that was a game where he was the only offense that the Knicks could produce. It was freaking Austin Rivers, who wasn't even on the team by the end of the year, and was, was like out of the rotation. Too. Oh my yeah. god, we beat the Jazz. Austin Rivers is back, making yeah. uh, what was it? What was the uh, like? They were making like Rivers uh, T-shirts. Oh, uh, quivers, quivers, quivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Quickly and Rivers. Yeah, which quickly turned into (laughs) quickly. God, Quickly's name is just so easy to pun. Uh, Which turned into (laughs) Quickly and Rose. Then, which we never really came up with like a nickname for. But um, no funny. Yeah, I was gonna say though, like to your point, Alex. Like I agree very much. Like 
I think the mid range is being a little overlooked here. And of course I was talking about the threes and the volume of threes. And I do think they're going to take a ton of them. And like, so one guy I just looked up, so I was curious, I felt like I didn't have to look up, like, you know, for a fact that Julius Randle can shoot in the mid range, right? Mm -hmm. That's a given, you know, for a fact that Kemba Walker, I mean, he literally, he's made a career out of pull up shooting from everywhere on the court. So, you know, that he's going to be able to shoot in the mid range if you need him to Evan Fournier also. This is a guy that I looked up because I wasn't sure what the numbers bore out here, but I just pulled it up on on uh, cleaning the glass. Mm-hmm. And his, I'm going to use his Orlando sample size from last year because I think that's a better indication. Although I guess, I mean, I, it doesn't let me average them together here. Um, he, on short mid-range attempts last year, was 31 of 61. That put him in the 91st percentile in the NBA. He was 21 of 47 from long mid-range, which put him in the 73rd percentile. That averaged out in total to 48% from mid-range period, which was in the 91st percentile overall in the NBA for wings, I should say. Uh, they categorize everything oh. by, by your position. So for wings, he was a 91st percentile mid-range shooter, shooting almost 50%, which is, if you keep a note at home, about what Julius Randle was shooting from mid-range. Um, and then from three with the magic last year, also he was in the 74th percentile. So I guess like my, my thing where I would push back John about like, you know, what happens if the, if the three pointers, you know, don't regress some, you know, Mm -hmm. like regress to the mean, right? What is the Mm -hmm. mean? The mean is a bunch of above average shooters. So if they're not shooting stupidly above average, you know, then they just start shooting above average again. And so maybe Julius goes back to, I mean, I think there's no way to, you could just see by virtue of his mid-range shooting and his three-point shooting that there's no denying, like Julius Randle just is a better shooter now than he was two years ago on the Knicks. So I don't think it's reasonable to ever assume that he's going to go back to that level. Same thing with RJ Barrett. Like we've seen it in these two preseason games. You know, I don't think he's ever going to go back to his rookie self that was shooting 32%. I think he's just a better shooter now. And there's there's no real, you know, there might be regression to the point of, having some cold stretches here and there that lowers his, you know, his season average to 37% for a while or something, but he's still going to be an above average three point shooter. Kemba Walker has a whole career to show that he's an above average three point shooter at this point. Evan Fournier, same deal, you know, has shot around 40% a number of years from three point range. So I think that that's never going to go away. You know, that's going to be there no matter what. The thing that I would say maybe has been slightly overlooked with this team, like in from a team building perspective is, finishing around the rim. Um, I think that's a little spotty, particularly without Mitch. Um, once you get Mitch back, obviously that's kind of like your safety valve. That's the guy that you want to look for around the rim anytime you can. But without him, like Nerlens, we've seen can't really do much around there. Um, you know, okay. he's just, especially he, catch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the main thing. He can't catch once he catches it. He's better at throwing it down. He's fine, but he just, he, he has bad hands. Um, Taj is really good, but I mean, he's, he's somewhat limited in his offense capacity, he has the guile to get things done down there, but like Randall is a little below average um, finishing around the rim. RJ Barrett, like for as good as he is at getting there is actually not the best at finishing around the rim either. Fournier definitely isn't uh, and, and never really has been a great finisher around the rim. I mean, for example, if I'm just looking at the the numbers here, I mean, actually I guess 1920 Fournier did finish in the 82nd percentile around the rim, 67% as a wing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty solid, but you know, last year shot even at his best 62%, which was in the, the 49th percentile. So, I mean, he's like, 
he's going to struggle a little bit, though he's pretty good at drawing fouls. So I guess there's that to consider. But like Rose and Kemba, you know, they used to be better at that aspect of the game, are not so much now that their athleticism has dwindled a little bit. Um, and then quickly, like really, that's something he really needs to work on. Obi, that's something he really needs to work on. That's sort of like the number one concern for me is getting to the rim. So actually, like if we're talking about Mori Ball, I think that they've got the three point part down, but the getting to the getting to the rim, drawing fouls, making those shots, converting three point plays, stuff like that. Th- those are things that maybe could could bite them a little bit this year, and like they're going to need to really, uh, I guess, hope. Uh, for for one, work on selling calls better, but then for two, hope that they get a better whistle than they've gotten in previous years. Because, I mean, that's that's something that comes with respect, I think, in the NBA, how good of a whistle you get, even though it should be impartial. I mean, we saw that I, with, Q, oh, with IQ, right? Like, he literally yeah. did the Trey Young. I'll never forget that in game mm-hmm. five, like, toward that last, like, it was like the last possession or two when he just, and the game was over, but he literally did the Trey Young foul and he just didn't call it. I was like, all right, like this is just like yeah. ridiculous. But I'm glad that I feel like Maury Ball is dead forever now without the hardened Trey Young call, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's like dead, dead. I think the general concept still exists. You know, the, the shooting threes and getting to the rim is still the most efficient and, and getting the free throw line, I should say too which mm-hmm. comes along with getting to the rim. Those are still the most efficient way to get points in the NBA. And I think that that's still going to be a trend, but I do think that there is something to be said for, I mean, yeah, it, like you guys mentioned the, um, like the bucks and number of other teams, uh, you know, it, once you hit it, it also like the, the Suns. I mean, the Suns use the mid range a ton. Once you hit a certain point in the NBA, you know, that the, the cute little things that get you through the regular season, like shooting a, a zillion threes and doing basically nothing else. Teams all of a sudden take that away from you. And if you can't hit the shots in the hard to make spots, then you're kind of screwed. Um, but I, I think the Knicks are actually pretty, pretty well equipped for that. Um, this year, but yeah, to say like Mori Ball is totally dead. I, I think Mori Ball just sort of almost became like a caricature of like the, the modern NBA style. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily dead. I, I don't think the NBA is getting away from that, but I don't know if anybody's going to try quite as comically to, you know, push the limits of that uh, this time around. Like even the Warriors never quite did what Maury did with the Rockets with like essentially being like, we don't care about positions. We literally just want shooters out there. We'll basically hemorrhage points on the other end and not care about it. Um, you know, as long as we're scoring more than you, then we're happy. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody else can do that quite to that extreme. So in that, in that respect, I do think maybe Maury Ball is dead. Yeah, I think like I agree with you. I agree with you, Alex. I don't think it's necessarily dead. It's just changed. It's just modified because mm-hmm. when you saw the Rockets, well, now we're going back to when the Rockets played the the Warriors, and you just see them like I forget maybe times they put up, but they just clank were clanking everything for when the Warriors to go face the Cavs, and then the Warriors lose to the Cavs. Was that 2015, 16 season we're talking about? Like, I think when you watch that game, that's why teams start to slowly shift away, but it's not totally dead. Teams are still shooting a high amount of threes and they're looking for three point shooters because they just want more spacing on the floor. They want players who are just athletic and capable of getting to the rack or just creating like just a, you know, maybe a one-on-one for their one big man who's down there so they can get an easy like attempt at the rim. I don't think it necessarily is completely dead, but I think it's funny though. Talking about finishing at the rim, like our best, probably our best finishers on this team, though, is one Kimball Walker. 
<laughs> and maybe Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose, I know, didn't have like he wasn't highly ranked last season with finishing at the rim, but he's known to be like a good uh, player to get to the rim and finish. So I just find it funny that both our top point guards on this team are like our best finishers when outside of Mitch, obviously outside of Mitch, um, just like in the restricted area. But moving along, like, so Alex, what, what do you, I guess, what are your expectations for like this season moving forward? Like we've made these upgrades. We see that the play style, cause we can see these past games are, they're whipping the ball around the court. You see quickly and Obi who have taken that step forward where you have quickly now being able to drive and penetrate, keep his dribble alive and, and like whip the ball back out to the perimeter, like seeing it. Uh, against uh, the Wizards this past weekend, seeing him push it out to uh, Burks, who then Burks to Rose, Rose back to Burks, and you see that open three. Like, that's the beautiful basketball. Like, we've been missing from this team to be part of that modern NBA. And now when you see all these guys taking that step up, you got you see the, the, the dynamic of this, the, uh, yeah, the dynamic nature of this team. What are your expectations for this team for this season? Is it like, get it? Like, how far do you expect them to go? What do you want them to be ranked this season? I know you said you can see them being between the third, the third and the sixth seed. You can see them being a fifty-plus win team. But what are your expectations for this team? Like, what are the hard, concrete numbers? Um, I you know I I hate making like exact predictions. I I like ranges. Okay. So you know if I was going to set a range, like I could see anywhere from like forty-five to like fifty-two wins. You know if things okay. go go the absolute best. I really don't think they're going to get less than like 45 wins. I just think there's too much talent on the team at this point. You know, they have, there's so many, so many play like the, literally their bench is probably almost as good as some of the like tanking teams starting lineups right now, which Orlando. is kind of, yeah. Like I would Orlando take bench over Orlando starting lineup or like, OKC minus SGA. Like, yeah, you know, they definitely are beating like they're watching them. You know, it's just, and, and they're so much better than so many other benches in the league. And that depth, I think, is going to allow them to absorb any potential injuries from, like, Kemba Walker or Derek Rose. Or even, don't even call it injuries. Even just, I mean, hopefully Tibbs is receptive to the idea of rest, you know. I think part of the reason last year that guys really got, like, run like thoroughbreds is that there was just not a lot of options on last year's team, you mm-hmm. know. Like, if Julius didn't play 40 minutes in whatever game, they were probably going to lose. And if, you know, if they didn't play Derrick Rose 40 minutes in any, you know, given game down the stretch there, they were probably going to lose because you couldn't afford to play Alfred Payton. You know, if (laughs) Reggie Bullock, I mean, for all of his limitations, if he didn't play, you know, 40 minutes in certain games when he was hot, you were going to lose that game. You know, you just, you needed, you needed those presences on the team this year. I mean, there's so much depth. There are two guys on the team, the two rookies, I, I shouldn't leave out Sims. I think Sims is a little further off from being a, a real contributor uh, as long as the other three are healthy, uh, which is a big if, obviously, or even if just two of those guys are healthy. I think that Sims is a, a little ways away. Um, are you worried about Noel? I'm oh, no, sorry to sidetrack. Are you worried about Noel not playing? No, I, okay. I feel like it's just maintenance. I okay. mean, I feel like if it was anything serious, we'd hear about it, right? Like, right. I, I think that it's just, he probably just tweaked something or something like that, and they're just being overly cautious. Like, I think they said I, the hamstring today. I think I saw it was like a hammy yeah. that he was just tending to. And I, and I think they understand right now, too, like don't push him because M- Mitch's status is unsure right now. So you don't want to compound your problem in preseason by playing Nerlens Noel when you already know exactly what don't you're going to Don't say compound, bro. Don't say compound on Mitch Robinson. 
Yes. So you know what I mean? Like just so, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to make your situation worse where then you're, you're having to rely on Taj and Jericho Sims, your, your center rotation. But um, anyway, I was saying like about the depth, like you have Grimes and McBride just sitting on the bench, like two guys that, I mean, I think we could reasonably say at this point, based off what we've seen from Deuce, like he probably could have been a late first round pick also. Like you could swap where they were drafted or, or like you could have told me that the Knicks took McBride at, at Grimes' spot and then, or the, or the, you took them honestly at 19 and 21. Yeah, if they kept those two picks, let's put it that way. They kept those two picks and taking these two same guys at 19 and 21 based off how they played so far. I wouldn't question that decision at all. Mm. And, you know, you have these guys that probably aren't even going to get play time unless there's mm-hmm. injuries. But should there be injuries, I think that they'll be able to step in pretty admirably. Um, you have Quickly, who by and large will probably be getting like 17 to 20 minutes a game. And, you know, reasonably looks like he's probably ready for like 25 to 30 minutes a game. So if, if you know, you want to rest Derek Rose or or uh, uh, Kemba Walker for a game, you can very easily just be like, okay, quick, you're playing 30 minutes tonight. Like that's that. And you won't skip a beat because he's really good. Um, same thing with Obi. Like you could even give Randall a rest night from time to time. As crazy as that sounds. Oh, oh you, hear that? you hear that? You hear that? Try to caster. Yeah. It from Miss Alex Wolf's <laughs> mouth. I've been on the Obi hype train all preseason, yeah. and I, I I've been getting some heat for it. But dude, I mean, he's old. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's if we're making a part of him for being an older rookie, now he's also an older sophomore. This is when it starts to come into fruition. Mm-hmm. This is when it's on your side. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's already pretty much done growing, you know? So that's the thing is like, some people are like, Oh, he looks stronger. Like he looks like exactly the same person as last year <laughs> yeah. to me. Like body wise, he is developed, man. Like he's like 23 years old now. Like not too many guys continue growing past like 22. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you can, even if it's not a full rest night for Julius, like, you know, maybe you just get out ahead once or twice and you just play Julius 20 minutes and then just be like, okay, Obi, you're up for 28 today. Um, so I think the depth is going to carry them along. So as far as setting expectations, like, yeah, I think that they're going to have a high floor, um, and also a high ceiling. I mean, I think it's a, it's sort of a win-win because of that depth. Um, all I expect out of them is just to bust their asses. I mean, but like, what else do they do? You know, there's like, there's nobody on this team that's going to mail it in. Um, and, and they built it that way intentionally. I mean, they signed all these guys, drafted all these guys because they know that they're just, they're Tibbs players. Like, to, I think people mis, misconstrue what a Tibbs player is. It's not necessarily a defensive stalwart. Um, like he likes those sort of players for certain positions. He definitely loves having a center that's extremely defensively versatile. And he likes having a couple of like switchy wings and that sort of thing. But like by and large, and sometimes it's just been by just been by virtue of injuries and stuff back in his time with Chicago and whatever. But the types of point guards and like shooting guards he likes, he's not necessarily all on board with like super defensive minded guys, as was sort of evidenced by his lack of using Frank Nilakina last year, who was a really good defensive guard. He's more about these, like he just wants guys that really bust their ass. And like from most of his players, he wants guys that bust their ass on defense and that are ballsy enough to take hard shots and create hard shots for themselves. And, and, you know, not to the point of being foolish, but you know, guys that that have that sort of like killer instinct on the offensive end. And I think the Knicks have done a good job of building basically a whole team of those guys um, that, you know, they all play defense as hard as they possibly can. I mean, we've even seen in preseason, like 
stuff from Kemba that I don't remember the last time I ever saw Kemba play defense like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Last year, I don't, you know, you I don't remember the last time I saw. Bro. Yeah, in preseason, it's preseason. Nonetheless, he's playing crazy, crazy. defense at the yeah. point guard. And like, I don't remember the last time I saw Derrick Rose play defense like he did last year. You know, and yeah. or um, Julius Randle. I mean, who was like a turnstile his first year with the Knicks mm-hmm. was one of their best defensive stoppers last year. And actually, if you look at there's like a tool on um, B-ball index that you can use uh, called like the um, what is it? The defensive versatility tool, I think something like that, where they actually chart like how much time players spend um, guarding each position on the floor. And Randall ranked out in like the like top 20, 25 players last year in the league or something like that. And that, in that statistic, like of his defensive versatility and like being able to guard any position on the floor. He's one of the like probably 30 best players in the NBA at that. Um, so yeah, it, sorry, all this is a roundabout way of saying my expectations are, are probably higher than most. Like I really do think that the Knicks floor this year is probably like 45 wins. Um, and you well, know, I, I, I think that would probably be enough to escape the, the play in. Um, so I, I think that as far as like a floor for, where they could end up end of season wise. I think about the six seed is the lowest I would potentially go short of, yeah. you know, again, short of catastrophic injuries and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, there's nothing you could do about it if you get like two starters and a bench player hurt, you know, and, and yeah. you're stuck with no depth, you know, or, or limited depth of your already good depth, but you know, it's, it's just, you know, not the same. Um, like if making it out of the first round, I think they could, I don't, I don't I'm not necessarily going to be like, that's what I certain. need. That's just the only thing I need. Yeah. I think they could push the team to seven for sure. And, you know, oh, I think they'll do, they'll definitely do more than they did this year in the playoffs. I mean, that year of playoffs experience would be very helpful to them. Um, it also might weirdly help them if they end up a lower seed this year and don't have that pressure of being the home playoff team in game one and two. Um, <laughs> being at the garden, man, I, yeah. I honestly tend to agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, like it's that, a good, that last, that last play by Trey Young, he, it was, it was, they're playing with house money. He could have airballed that shot, mm-hmm. and it, the Hawks would have been completely fine going into game two. He made mm-hmm. that shot. It was all over. The energy yeah. was completely sucked out of the Garden and the Knicks. It didn't even matter that we won game two. Like It was almost like a whatever. You know, we act like we won the Super Bowl. Atlanta was like, all right, sounds good. We'll see you in Atlanta. We're up You know, we're up on the series now. We stole home field. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm honestly with you, man. That, that was such a hard game, man. Game one in the Garden expectations because you had the home field you have to win mm-hmm. you lost so the whole everything's over like after game one at the buzzer it was like it might as well throw in the whole towel so yeah. I, I agree with you dude yeah i unfortunately felt kind of the same after that game one you know i tried to talk myself into like oh it's all right they can get it right they can do some stuff in atlanta blah blah, blah. look what they did to this team in the regular season but you, you sort of felt it like in their body language and and just how defeated that left them and that's why i'm saying like i think you know Weird as it is to say, like, it might be good for them if they end up, say, the five seed and end up against whoever the four seed ends up being. Maybe it's Miami or something to get to go to Miami or whatever and be like, okay, it's on us. Like, we can steal game one now, you know, and Mm -hmm. and be the underdog. This team does pretty well. I mean, they certainly did well last year, you know, being the underdog. And I mean, what was someone ran the numbers on if you bet. Uh, if you bet in favor of the the money line for the Knicks on every single game and put like 
a, a slightly compounding amount of money. Like you could have made like a million dollars last year because they beat like every, they beat so many money lines and, and everything else. Like almost every game, you know, they were projected to lose for the first half of the season or so. And then even once they went on their streak, people were still being like, eh, Knicks by one point, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> hey. Let me tell you something, because I do a little bit of sports gambling for Tally site, and they asked me to cover the Knicks for that site. I, I somehow came up with like close to like a 60% uh, rate of choosing uh, the line. Like just making mm-hmm. like, I was like, thank you, Knicks, for covering. Thank you for covering every single night. Like, because they covered. They yeah, covered, covered like a, crazy I think, I last they, year, bro. I think they covered like 19 games in a row. I think that was like something like uh, of like. During their win streak? Yeah, it was during their win streak. Even when they were losing, too, they weren't losing by many points. It was like a field goal, like here or there. But they covered. Like most of the lines were, most of the lines were like five, six. So they were always within like a five, six point. Uh, like I obviously, if they win, they they covered. But if they were like losing, it was nothing more than five or six points that they were losing by because they were just a really good defensive team last year. That's why they were in the top five. Um, Sorry to cut you off, Alex. <laughs> oh, it's okay. No, yeah, I, it, you definitely know better than me. Then, if you're if you're doing the the lines and everything, yeah, I mean, they were they they just like they they scrap so much. You know, I just I think that's still going to be the identity of the Knicks this year because I think that I mean they're not oblivious clearly to the what goes on um, as far as like things that are written about them and things that are said on social media and stuff like that. And I'm sure that they've been paying attention to all these people saying, Oh, I'd be surprised if the, if the Knicks, you know, avoided the play in this year or whatever, they're going to regress that much that they're going to go from the four seed to a play in team. And yeah, I'm sure that they, they see this stuff and they're like, all right, we'll we'll keep talking, you know, we'll figure it out. And maybe they do end up a five seed this year, which I would not consider a failure by any stretch of the imagination, but not at all. You know, uh, the the media might paint it that way, and then they'll go into that series being like, well, all right, fine, we'll just win the series. Then tell us we did worse than last year, you know? Yeah. I That's think no sure. playing mean, I think no playing is the win for the regular season. Yes. And getting out of the mm-hmm. first round is the win for the playoffs. If you do both those yeah. things, like no matter what happens, like you are successful. I think the East get tell me what you guys think about this. I think that this narrative that the East got way better in the offseason is a little overblown. Like I still, I don't care if they're putting up like 150 points in preseason games. Like, I really don't think that the Bulls are going to be that oh, great. No. Um, and like, they, cause they have no defense. Like, the Celtics got worse demonstrably. Yes. Like, they're definitely worse. The, the Heat, I mean, you add Lowry. Yeah. I get that that's a pretty big addition, but I, I, I think people it, sleeping on Depot. Yeah. I mean, are, I think are they sleeping? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are they, are they going to be that much better? I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I I I think the Heat are. I think the Heat might slip into that three fourth seed. And I really, I I think yeah. I know you're asking about the you know the East and especially the juggernauts at the top. I think it's really the Nets are going to be there, man. The Nets got better and they're going to be there. Doesn't matter. I think the Nets are better without Kyrie, but that's that's neither here nor there. Okay, I. I I think they're going to be the number one seed, but it's really going to come down to what happens with the 76ers and Ben mm-hmm. Simmons. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge problem. I don't think doc rivers is really the coach that everyone thinks he is. And honestly, how hungry are the bucks going to be coming off a, a, a chip? Like mm-hmm. the whole thing about Milwaukee, the whole thing about Giannis that he's so disrespected and he's trying to get that ring. 
and everyone's trying so hard to get over the hump. The coach wants a new contract. Everyone wants respect. But now that you get it, I don't know. Is Lopez really going to just go on fire? Like in the beginning, are they really going to play with, I don't know, I th- that, that urgency? I think for this season, for the Bucks too, with such, such a quick turnaround time, I could see there being a little like championship winning hangover where they're going to be competitive. They'll still be like in the top four, but they're not oh, going to have that fire that they had like last season where they're really going to make that deep playoff push. I agree with you on the Nets. Doesn't matter what Kyrie, you got two of the most prolific scorers in the NBA and Harden and Kevin Durant. That's does Kyrie just makes Achilles, it over bro. The, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. Like we, Yo, we he, comes, he came back like there's nothing, so much. there's nothing wrong. Um, it's unbelievable. So you got those two. I got those two teams. I think Miami did get better, even with Lowry. I think just having like a, a better four general out on the court for them, I think that does make an improvement. I think we, you, you got to put the give respect to the Hawks. They're still good. They got everyone returning. Once you start getting to the five and everything else, that's where I start saying this is where the Knicks can start sliding in. That's where I think the Knicks could be like a five, six seed. I think the Indiana Pacers, even though they don't have Karis Vert, I think they are a very deep team. I think they're going to be a good team. Um, I'm not high on the Celtics either, but you can't just put them, you can't write them too far off because having two all-stars in Brown and Tatum, like they're, they'll take you there. Granted, they're going through some COVID issues right now because you have Jalen Brown who's out with COVID right now. And you have Al Horford, even though Al Horford's not like the major, like focal piece, like he is still like a starter on that team that you need to count on. Um, Bulls, they're doing cool stuff right now. I'm with you, John. I think they're just going to be a fun league passing because I think they just pass and just shoot decently enough. Um, and then everyone else, like who else? Like maybe the Wizards could be a play-in team still. Like I think a play-in team. They're a play-in team. I don't think they're good, but they're a play-in team. I know you just you find that disgusting. <laughs> I, 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 I think that I think the team to actually be scared of, and it's disgusting as a Knicks fan to talk about, are the Pacers. I think if Lavert is healthy, I think they're a, a nice team, man. I, I know it's disgusting. I know. Randall's better than Sabonis. I got you guys. I know Miles Turner stinks and Mitch Robinson is Tyson Chandler. I'm I'm with everyone. I I got you. I'm a Knicks fan. However, (laughs) the Indiana Pacers are a good team. They do have Rick Carlisle now who needed a new face. And Indiana's always looking for like an actual coach for X's and O's. They got a guy who only does X's and O's now. So he's going to make, he's going to make, you know, run plays for Sabonis. He's going to run plays for Brock. Like he's, he's going to be good, man. I, I don't know. I, I'm really nervous about the technical Pacers team. I really think they could be sneaky like Toronto. You know, well, I was like going to ask you about doing. Toronto too. And Alex, please chime in. Like, what do you think about Toronto? Cause like they had a poor season last year. I'm not thinking they're going to be a top. I think they're another like playing type team that's just like, they're not necessarily got better, but they're, they're still going to be a competitive team that you got to show up to every night. Yeah. They'll still, they'll still, you know, like try. <laughs> the bar is low. They're, they're not gonna, you know. I don't think that they're gonna like, you know, tank. Tank. Yeah, I just don't think they have that in them. I think Nick Nurse is like too win crazy for that. Um, sort of like Pop, you know what I mean? Like just where he's like, I'm not gonna let us tank. Screw that. Or even like Carlisle. I mean, Carlisle's kind of like that too. Um, you know, I, I think that they'll they'll give some teams some troubles. They'll probably take one off the Knicks that makes us all go, what the fuck, like. Come on, they won that game. Um, but I, I think they'll be at best, maybe like the 10, 
10 spot going into the play-in. You know, they won't be quite as bad as last year, but they are clearly leaning into developing too. Granted, I think I think Malachi Flynn's going to have a pretty damn good second year. I like Malachi um, Flynn. I like him a lot. Yeah, you know, I, I still don't, I don't have any regrets based off how things have gone because I love quickly to death. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. I really liked Malachi Flynn last year and, and I was pretty upset the Knicks didn't take him in last year's draft. And yeah, I think, I think he's going to have a really good career. Uh, Scotty Barnes, I think is going to be really good too. I mean, mm-hmm. it, but there is going to be a little bit of weird overlap with him and Siakam as well. Like, yes, I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing about Siakam's name in trade discussions by, yeah, you know, mid season. Yeah. Um, and that would be, you know, especially if they're if they're sort of unintentionally tanking, that would be the point where they say, okay, now we're intentionally tanking, <laughs> and they send off <laughs> Siakov and, and just kind of start fresh. Um, and then I, I agree about the Pacers too. Actually, I think they're being slept on a bit as well. Like, I think Carlisle is just one of those coaches that just like juices every little bit that he can out of any given team. Like, yep. he's like, like Tibbs, exactly. He's just like Tibbs, you know, in that in that regard, or like like pop to a degree or like, mm-hmm. um, you know, any of the, any of those coaches that you, that you can think of that has that reputation for, Oh, they don't necessarily have the best roster, but they're going to, they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to, you know, be dangerous any given night. Um, you know, I, I think that he's, he's that dude. And like, they have sort of like this perfect personnel for him. I feel like where it's sort of that, like almost superstarless setup, but where everybody can do a job and do it really well. As long as everybody's healthy, so like Brogdon, Lavert, um, Sabonis, Turner, T.J. Warren, if he's ha- healthy, I mean that's a dude that was just casually dropping like fifty points in the bubble. Um, <laughs> you know that that's a pretty solid starting lineup. You know, and a bunch of I, I think Brogdon is severely underrated. Yeah, um, I'm worried I, I was, about them. I'm yeah. low key worried about yeah, them. No, they're they're really a good am. team. They're very yeah. deep. Yeah, they're good. They're deep. They just, they have some health concerns too, I think, that are going to kind of like Levert just can't seem to stay on the floor. The, and that's his biggest thing. It's funny because the Knicks and the Pacers are kind of similar setup and mm-hmm. not in the sense of like, like we have, like we got like the, some good vets. Like they got like the vets like Kemba Walker or necessary Derek Rose, but they're just deep. They're deep and they got a good head coach at the helm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about a five, six matchup between the Knicks and the Pacers. Uh, no, sorry. It would be like a four. Ah, what I'm talking about, because uh, that's four and five. I wouldn't be surprised if like we got like that four or five like Knicks Pacers like matchup. Um, I think, and I would I'd be kind of hyped for that, even though it's like bringing back old, bad memories. But Dude. I would be hyped for that type of matchup because I think it'd be oh. a good, it'd be a good uh, co- coaching display between Tibbs and Carlisle. I think I know everyone wants the Hawks. I just want to see really good basketball with like deep teams, but. That's just the Knicks have so many demons to get out, man. Whether we play the Pacers, we can play the Bulls in the playoffs, we can play the Celtics, we can play the Hawks. Like any team we play in the playoffs, there are demons for the Knicks to get out. Yeah, just go. Let's just uh, we'll arrange it this year so there could be a playoff run of you know they'll face the the Hawks in the first round and then the Heat in the second round uh, and uh, I don't know who. Look, at, look at the Pacers in the play. There's no way. There's no way the, the, ball, there's no way the Bulls are making it that far. Yeah, that's true. All right, never mind. The, the we had to switch it. We had to switch it around. We had to start with the Bulls. Somehow. Okay, the heater, the heater in the ECF, the Bulls yeah. in the first round, Pacers sneaking in the second round or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out there. But yeah, the ultimate redemption tour uh, for the that. Knicks would be pretty sweet. But yeah, you're right. There is a. I mean, I guess it, it, it kind of sucks that most of that is a product of bad blood from 25, 30 years ago. 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there is there is some recent bad blood. I mean, I would consider the Pacers to be a team that I I harbor somewhat recent resentment towards for the the twelve uh, thirteen series. So, uh, yeah. Yes. They're yes. like they're R-H. they're like a double. They got a double thing. So I think we need this Pacers matchup for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, ah, man, I love this team too much. I love this team too much, but Alex, we got to, we got to start transitioning to some general NBA topics now. And uh, John, I know, I know you love, want to talk about this stuff. We got two things that happened recently. I'm going to start off with the one that happened today. Uh, besides Miles Powell uh, coming back to the next being part of the 20 man roster. Let's go. <laughs> well, welcome back. Seton Hall. Let's go. I, I think, all right. I have a theory that he's going to be the second two way spot because that hasn't been filled yet conspicuously. Ooh, so. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that. that. I like that a lot. Uh, makes me happy because uh, I'm originally from Westchester. So I'm like from White Plains. But so I usually go to a lot of the Westchester Knicks games. They're playing in Bridgeport this year because mm-hmm. they're still using uh, the county center as a COVID-19 um, what was it, testing center. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to go out to Bridgeport, which isn't too far from like my hometown. So I'm all down for that drive. But we have Kyrie Irving. For the Brooklyn Nets, and he, the Brooklyn Nets front office came out and said, you know, he's not playing this season, essentially, unless he gets vaccinated. What do you guys think of this? I think, just to give you guys my take, good on the Brooklyn Nets for putting their foot down. You should not have like a half, like a part-time player playing. Like that just just sounds like nonsense. And putting people at risk. That's just my opinion. Um, but what do you guys think, Alex? I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. I mean, good on the Nets. Like, I mean, as much as we don't want to give them credit for anything, you know, as Knicks fans, <laughs> like the organization. I mean, this this actually, you know, amongst all the other things that they've that have sort of transpired since they were like the the culture uh, uh, poster children, you know, like during the D'Angelo Russell year and whatever. Like this, I think, is their first thing that they've done in in the last couple of years. That to me says like, yeah, this is a culture thing. Like that Kyrie shouldn't be allowed to do this. He shouldn't be allowed to make this extremely selfish decision and like get away from it from a, a teammate perspective, you know, like it, he's, <laughs> he's being a terrible teammate on top of just a bad human being by doing this. And so to call him out for this, I mean, it's essentially like, how is this any different from Ben Simmons's situation, for example, and he's being ostracized for that, for, you know, sitting out and trying to force this trade and whatever. And, and exerting his will upon the entire team, despite the fact that he's under contract and everything, you know, this is just that with Kyrie, except for it takes another level where he's using this platform that he's been given by being so good at basketball to affect the hearts and minds of a bunch of people. And he's using that to spew nonsense. And you can even see it, I feel like the seeds are already being laid for him to eventually just take the vaccine and just say, screw it to this. Because at first, his line was, you know, oh, this is this is because I don't trust the science. I want to do my own research. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to control what goes into my body, blah, blah, blah. Now, all of a sudden, he's pivoting, and there's a story that comes out today that says, uh, oh, this is, it's not that I'm anti-vaccine. It's that I'm anti-discrimination like against workers who don't want to get the vaccine. And it's like, so you are anti-vaccine in that case, because if you're pro people that refuse the vaccine, then you're anti-vaccine. That's just kind of how that works. But he's already kind of doing this like backtrack act. I, I don't really care what his rationale is. I, I think I think they made the right call. And the NBA, I mean the, the NBA to their 
discredit, I guess. I don't know if they have been hard enough on this whole thing. You know, I don't think it would be unreasonable for them to say, you guys are playing in arenas full of people. And part of our fan experience is being able to be right next to the court, literally getting sweat on and spit on by players. Like you guys need to be vaccinated for public health because we work in a public, you know, workplace, you know, an extremely public workplace. So you guys need to do this. And if you don't, then you can't play this year. Sorry. And I think they should have taken that hard line. Instead, they, they, you know, took the the method where they say, okay, well, you can still be non-vaccinated, but you have to do all these protocols and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, um, we're going to leave it up to municipalities and, and city governments and state governments and whatever to decide if you're allowed to do it there, which is why this whole thing has come about with New York and with San Francisco. So, yeah, my, my overall stance on it is everybody should be vaccinated. I, I don't care to hear about needing to read more science because what is an average non-scientist going to glean from whatever research they do anyway? Um, I, I just think that I, I think that they made the right call from a, a team perspective, from a public health perspective, and just from a like uh, everything perspective. I don't know. I, I think Brooklyn nailed this one. And maybe this makes Kyrie get the vaccination. Maybe it doesn't. If he sits out the whole season, I don't care. You know, I don't, I, I'm sure the Nets will care and they might even try to trade him to a place where people care less about the vaccine and stuff like that. But I, I think it was the right move by them overall. That's, that's my thought on it. All right. I I, I mean, I agree with that statement. I mean, at this point, like there's not, everyone keeps saying that you want to do more research, what research you're actually doing, like that scientists or anyone else hasn't put in already, as you already stated, like for me, like Kyrie has a choice. He is right in that, but it's a choice that is, in my opinion, selfish. Uh, and, you know, there are consequences to your choices. So that's exactly. That's exa- I was literally just about to say, if you, if you didn't say that exact phrase, I was yeah. going to say that. I mean, so, yeah, everybody's allowed freedom of choice with things, but everybody should be responsible to deal with the consequences that come with it. And, yeah. you know, to suggest that there's not been, you know, I mean, literally diseases in this country and abroad have been killed by vaccines for over a century now. You know, this is why we have science <laughs> so that we can and, and it's not destroy like any, these destructive diseases. Yeah. And it's not like this is anything new. Like when you go to a school, they ask you for a vaccine. They ask you mm-hmm. to get all these shots. So it's not like this is the first time. And if you and nobody has questioned that to, for years and years and yeah. years. Like <laughs> and, and if someone chooses not to like, OK, you cannot come to said school. That is your choice. Yes. Your consequence is that you cannot come here. So, and the parent has to homeschool or whatever. Like you become yeah. inconvenienced by the fact that you decide not to follow the mandated public health initiatives. And that's just that. You know what I mean? I think, I think there's been some discussion too about, you know, you see this and not to turn this too political, but you see things everywhere about, um, you know, oh, it's not right for the government to do this. They're stripping our freedoms away. And like I tweeted about this recently. I was like, I think a lot of people mistake freedom for anarchy in the U S and don't understand that like the function of a good government is to do things that benefit the entire population. So if getting a vaccine stops a potentially deadly and fast spreading disease from spreading and killing the most vulnerable citizens, then the U S government is doing a good job and 
And, and, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. And they're not stripping your freedoms away. They're not saying that you can't, um, you know, you, you can't be like Kyrie Irving and make a choice not to get vaccinated. But they are saying that if you do that, there are going to be consequences. The life is going to be harder for you. And you're probably not going to be able to do a lot of things that you enjoy because you're not making the overall population safe at that point. And that's, that's basically what has happened with Kyrie at this point with, with the state of New York and the city of New York and, and all that stuff is just, you know, he, he's run into a, a point here where it's like, you either do the simple thing and just get it over with, or you don't, and you continue to inconvenience yourself and your teammates and the Nets, you know, again, to their credit have now basically just said, well, we're, we're not going to put up with that. You know, that's our choice <laughs> is to not put up with your choice to not get vaccinated. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually shocked by uh, what, so what is it? Sean Marks, uh, a couple mm-hmm. other people, and then in the organization, and then Kevin Durant and James Harden, those are the people that made the decision on whether uh, Kyrie will come back. Supposedly, supposedly uh, Harden and Kevin Durant from another tweet today, I think, um, I forget who the reporter is for, uh, for the athletic said, it was Kevin Durant and James Harden weren't involved, but I don't believe that one, one oh, bit okay. when you had earlier. I, I don't believe that one bit when you had them previously stated that they would be in this decision. I find it interesting yeah. that Steve Nash was in this, this decision, but that's another story. <laughs> but yeah. go on, John. So, mm-hmm. I mean, th- that that's what's so interesting. Honestly, you guys are giving props to the Nets. Honestly, so am I because you know what? In a, If I'm being 100% honest, in NBA 2K world, Having a part-time Kyrie sounds fantastic. Like you mm-hmm. get to save money on that contract. He's definitely going to be healthy by the time, you know, it's playoff season. And, you know, we'll see what happens with, you know, the mandates and stuff like that towards the end. Yeah, he won't be at a home game, but you know, that'll be better for our bench. Like in, in, on paper, if I was the Nets, this sounds fantastic to me. So I do give props to them for actually taking, you know, a hard stance, you know, for morale, not really caring that they're going to save money on the books that way. And Alex, you said selfish, but I think you were kind of talking about, you know, society. I think he's selfish towards his teammates. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think he's taking into consideration how much that's going to mess everything up. If you play like, you know, the NBA does it. It's not like NFL, right? Where it's like one home game and then one away game. No, it's like, you could be on a stretch or like, what if you're on a West coast stretch and then you have to go to California for a couple of days. That's it. He goes home. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It, it, it really messes up the actual squad. And as basketball fans, you could be a casual fan. You could be, you know, a diehard Knicks fan, you know what continuity does. So from that aspect, I actually give credit to the Nets because I think honestly it would have been beneficial if he was a part-time player. I think that would have been cool. Like for him, he would have been healthy. They would have won. So I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, just, just like uh, his decision. I don't think he's going to actually take the vaccine. I think if he was, he would have done like Wiggins and just took it already. I think that's kind of what Cam Newton's doing, but that's a whole different sport, whole different story where he, you know, he needs a job. And I think he's secretly getting the vaccine so he can get a job. Players like Kyrie, like, I mean, I, I don't know too much about his off the field stuff, but I know he like just joined uh, his native American tribe. Right. He does all the sage stuff before every game. It doesn't seem like a kind of guy who's going to get a vaccine, <laughs> especially, you know, that's mandated. Yeah. I, I don't know. People, the gov, the, everyone's talking about the federal government taking away your rights. It's kind of silly. 
the federal government is literally making you take it even if you work for the federal government. So, you know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like a, you know, private business type deal. So I don't know. That's really all I have to say about it. I, I'm happy that the Nets made that decision. I don't think they're going to be able to trade him. I, I, I think that everyone is not really taking into consideration how heavy it is that his agent came out and said he's going to retire upon being traded. Like the worst <laughs> thing that you can do to your player is take away his contract. And he's literally saying, I don't want it. <laughs> so what, what can you, you can't discipline him. So if Philly was like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll trade you Simmons for Kyrie and then Kyrie doesn't show up. I, I don't think there's takes backsies in the NBA. Like I think if that player shows up and retires, like it's over. So I don't know if they're going to be able to trade him. I think they're kind of screwed. I, you know what I'm really interested in and where this is really going to come into like fruition? I'm curious what the NBA PA is going to do. Like, what is the players association going to do? How are they going to navigate this? How are they going to try to get his money back? Are they just going to, you know, leave him be uh, because it's only certain states? Uh, like, that's what I, I think is interesting. Other than that, the vice president of the NBPA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, like, that's, it, even, that's even crazier. To that's, say that that, that that's, it's his union, basically. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's at yeah. the top of the e board. So. It's really kind of interesting how that's going to handle. That's what I'm interested in. As for the Nets, dude, James Harden as a point guard is just better. As they're mm-hmm. better. Like they're, 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 if you think the Nets are going to regress because of this, like I'm sorry, you are so wrong. Like you could hate on them all you want. They're going to actually be better without Kyrie Irving. So from a basketball standpoint, this is fine. If he does decide to get a vaccine halfway through the season, like you know Alex Wolf is pointing out. Not even be even better. Like imagine he comes back fully healthy, ready to go by, you know, the all-star break. I don't know. I just feel like they're going to use this to their advantage. And somehow this is all going to be great for them. <laughs> that's, just, that's just how, that's just how I see it coming for some, I don't know if it's just my Knicks, you know, uh, pessimism coming through, but like, I just feel like this <laughs> is going to be perfect for the Nets at the end. I think, I mean, I, I, I don't think you're wrong that, uh, you know, Durant and Harden, by themselves are plenty good. I mean, that they're they're enough by themselves to potentially win you a championship. So, you know, it's it's crazy to say the glut of talent that they have there that they can take Kyrie off that team and be totally fine. <laughs> and, you know, potentially be skip a, a beat. Yeah, yeah. Like just not skip a beat. Maybe like you said, even function slightly better. Um yeah, it's uh it sucks. That yeah, sucks. It's it's, I, <laughs> I, I just I just like <laughs> I like being in the Knicks lane where there's no expectations for a championship. Yeah. And so we could just enjoy it, you know, because the, that is the other thing is that if there isn't a championship for the Nets this year, um, it's a bust. That, yeah. And it's a bust yeah, for every bust. year that they don't win one, you know, and, and every year that they, they waste these guys dwindling primes uh, without winning a championship is, is a bust. So um, they better hope it comes sooner than later. Cause otherwise <laughs> I'm hoping it never comes. So I'm hoping it never comes too. I, I, Certainly hope that too. I think that'd be very funny. Uh, <laughs> and if the Knicks manage to get one first, but mm-hmm. yeah, then we can, then we can just go back and uh, drag Stephen A for his ridiculous take on that the Nets took over New York because yeah. that was just the worst he take. Took it all in... back. He took it all back today. He said the Nets need to trade Kyrie. Yeah. I just yeah. think I think nobody saw the Knicks getting good again anytime soon, and I think that was the biggest mistake with all those takes was that they thought. Oh, the Nets are going to be like a one-two seed, be a championship contender for like five straight years, and the Knicks are going to be rendered, you know, useless because they they aren't good. And then the Knicks went ahead and got good, way ahead of schedule, and totally <laughs> threw a wrench in that. And now there's no shot that like the Nets marketing team will ever be able to make a dent. You know, I, I think that 
at best, they maybe had a chance of maybe snaking away like 25% of prospective Knicks fans or something like that. You know, like ones that like rebellious kids that don't want to root for the team that dad roots for and, you know, go with, uh, go with, you know, the other team just to be different, you know, that sort of thing. Nobody's going to do that shit now. They just like everybody loves the Knicks. They're just such a fun team. Like they, so have, I did. they, let me, let me, young let me players, just make one players. comment about this Gen Z going on. So I'm, I'm like I, yeah. I coach, <laughs> I coach and mentor like college kids and high school kids. Let me tell you something. They think it's absolutely bizarre that that we root for laundry. They like they think it's crazy <laughs> that people are just like Knicks fans or like Nets fans or like Lakers fans. Like they're just like no, we like one, we like players. We they have personalities. We follow them. We like mm. them. We buy their jersey and wherever they go, we just follow. So yeah. I, I don't I don't know like it like people just love KD like KD can go to the Hornets and people are gonna be like the biggest Hornets fans now. Except for who even and, likes KD? KD is so unlikable. <laughs> I don't know. I I, I, honestly, I honestly disagree. I'm on the like I, I I love what KD has done since he's been outed as this like soft cupcake guy. Like when OKC like opened the door and like had like cupcake mascots and the way he handled that and he just after that just became the man like. He's like, okay, you guys making fun of me for burners? All right, I'm just going to do it all on my own account. Like, you know, just like abuse everyone and like come out. And I don't know. I, I actually kind of dig the new Kevin Durant. I I, I hate to say it out you loud. You like the villain? <laughs> I, I hate to say it out loud, but like he, he just, yeah, I, I would love to have Kevin Durant. He He really did change my mind with the whole coming back with the Achilles. Like his swag coming back with a torn Achilles, which no athlete has ever done. I don't know. I can't say anything bad about KD. <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> oh. All right. I can't. Like I like KD as a player too. Um, but we're gonna move off of this topic. To be clear, I love him as a as a, yeah. a purely a basketball player. Yeah, I, just throw, I don't rock with KD the person. I don't. I don't like him at all. I don't like how he cares. I think the one thing I don't like is his, I, I, I'm his crew that he like he rocks with like the guys who like. That you sometimes see on Twitter who like give their basketball takes. I'm like, I, mm. I do not know what you're saying. Like there's yeah. one guy, I can't remember his name, but it was like wildest basketball take. I'm like, okay. And then everyone's just like trashing him. And then he's like, I can't wait to fire you and be in position to fire. I'm like, dude, what? It's Twitter. Uh, like yeah, just, tough. just take a break, dude. Log oh, off, man. take a break, go for a walk, do something <laughs> else. Well, let's move on to a more interesting topic. Uh, and then we can ask Wolf some uh, Jets questions and get him out of here because it's going over the time that I, I told yeah. I told the man, but it's okay. <laughs> I got but, no limits. I'm good. I'm just I'm just trying to watch truly a, couple a Strickland, truly a Strickland way. No limits whatsoever. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I'm uh, just trying to watch a couple a uh, couple Squid Game episodes before bed. That's it. I'm, I'm okay. working on that show. Finally, catching the hype. It's, it's good, the hype? by the way. Oh, it's, it's good. It's worth it's worth the hype. I yeah. started. I, I started I, last week, and I cannot watch anything that everyone is so hyped about. But I might, I might get on this set. I would also definitely recommend don't watch the dubbed version. Watch it with subtitles because the dubbed version was bad, and the subtitled version is good. The dubbed version is the one I'm watching, and <laughs> my fiance is like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I agree. It is like this is comical. Like this is like even worse than like anime dub over. It's like yeah, yeah. It's pretty bad. I've tried it's to do painful. that with a few Netflix shows, and they're really not good at dubbing their live action nah, stuff, man. It's, it's terrible. It makes it makes like old like eighties Godzilla movies look good. You know what's the worst part? <laughs> you know what's the worst part? If you have subtitles on and you had the dub version, you're like, oh wow, you guys are way way off on what they're yeah. trying to actually oh, say. Yeah. It's like, Whoa. oh absolutely, yeah. My goodness, um, like watching Arabic. That's like watching any American movie 
or like especially American war movies where they have like people yelling in Arabic and they'll like, <laughs> they like, they'll like curse in Arabic or something. And like, the, like the subtitle will be like, uh, like yells or something like, that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like something so silly. Like, go away. It's like, no, he did not say go away, dude. <laughs> oh, man. The other topic that happened this weekend, though, trying to get back on track, is that we saw 18 NBA players fraudulently <laughs> take, <laughs> I can't even say it, healthcare. The NBA, Helen, was it the NBA, uh, wealth, What's the actual term of it? It is the wealth, the bargained health and welfare benefit plan offered by the NBA. 18 NBA players have been charged with federal felony offense of conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud and wire fraud, guys. And like the total is like $3.94 million, which comes out to like $280,000 each. Yeah. It's like, like literally one it, basketball Ky- game. They're gonna go to Ky- one Kyrie's check game. that he would miss if they were still on the roster is three hundred eighty thousand dollars. Like legit one game check. We're talking one game check. Like I don't. I'm not gonna judge everyone's pockets. Everyone has like even if you're making millions, don't know. But guys, like this is like to have letterheads the same. Like everyone's going to the dentist the same day for the same root canal, same office. One guy. Uh, <laughs> one guy's in Taiwan and not even in, in America. Like, what's what's going on here, guys? It's it's a little too comical. Uh, but Alex, what what are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I mean, I mean, also, I, all right. So from a from like a human perspective, I'm like this is kind of shitty because yes, players' unions fight really hard for this sort of stuff. Yes. Like. Especially, I mean, this is more so a case in the NFL where you're dealing with uh, all the concussions and all the mm-hmm. unknown effects where the NFL for so long wasn't willing to give a dime to anybody that was suffering from CTE or any long-term football effects. You know, you have to fight tooth and nail as a player's association for this shit. And then these dudes are just like, oh, let's let's defraud that. Like guys that made like lots of, to your point, lots of millions of dollars in their career. Like even I was even thinking about like Big Baby Davis. Like yes. I know he's he's the one name that I remember that was on it. And I'm like, dude, you signed a lot of contracts that you weren't worth back in the day. Like you made way more money than you had any business making in an NBA uniform. And what happened? Can you keep that? it? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like why are you now defrauding this system and and potentially screwing over? I mean, would it really come going down to prison? To, yeah, first off, going to prison. I mean, first off, mm-hmm. like, why would you, why would you even risk that? But then secondly, two years, potentially 22 years, 20 years for conspiracy, two years for the, for the frauds, for the wire yeah. and uh, healthcare frauds. I mean, that's a lot, that's a lot of jail time uh, mm-hmm. for something so silly, uh, you know, that really they didn't need. And the, the other thing too, is that you're not even like, by doing this, you're not really like screwing the NBA, you know, you're, you're mostly screwing the role players, like the, the mm-hmm. true journeymen, like the dudes that, you know, I'm trying to think like a like uh, uh, he's not a good example. I was gonna say like Langston Gallery or something like that. Like someone who plays on mostly Langston mostly minimum contracts the whole year. Was that Langston Galloway's a nice journeyman? Come from the come from the D yeah. League before he was even the G League. I, I mean, he Still got like right he got like a two year, eighteen million dollar contract at one point. I think that was what I was thinking I mean, of. <laughs> but if we're t- if we're gonna talk like it would like if his brother was in the league, like Giannis's brother, the Nassis, like yeah. he would be like a true. Example, exactly. Like, this is, this yeah. is, a, yeah, that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Like the guys that have a window to make a million dollars a year for 10 years, and then you don't know what they're going to be able to do after that. You know what I mean? And, and still, $10 million is nothing to sneeze 
that, but mm-hmm. it's a lot less than these like guys that got these big multi-million dollar contracts. And, you know, so those guys, especially after they exit the league, if they didn't really have a good contingency plan, they might rely on that health insurance and that, that coverage that comes from the NBA. And now you're just giving the NBA an excuse to potentially be like, well, look what happened when we gave you guys these benefits, you know, you just abused them and, and, you know, made a mockery of the fact that we were giving you something. So now we're never going to give you this again. And you, you guys are on your own. You made millions of dollars in your time in the league and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you don't deserve this shit. So, you know, it's, it's shitty all around. It's comical to look at, but then like, I, I bet you that everybody in the MBPA, except for maybe Kyrie, who probably doesn't give a shit about <laughs> medical anything. Um, yeah, the VP. But, you know, the people in the MBPA are probably like, shit, this is not good for us. <laughs> like, yeah. we're really going to be raked over the coals as far as this stuff is concerned in the next, yeah. like, labor uh, agreement yeah. and all that it's stuff. Coming up. I think that, and that's next year. Like, yeah. That's the next season we're talking about. So, yeah. to, your, to your point, uh, Alex, like, he... <sighs> These players, it's, it's, this is once again, like you're being selfish for yourself for like something you don't even need, like $280,000, what you needed for, <laughs> for what you're doing. Like you could play internationally and still make more money and get treated well. You can just go that route. You get didn't some have appearance to. fees. My God. Yeah. Like, you know, do <laughs> kids' movie parties or shit. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, go be in a movie. Like you could easily be in a movie. Like they need basketball players in movies. Like, <laughs> Go be the, I want to bring up Kyrie again. Go be the Uncle Drew movie. Go be the other side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but no, like definitely labor like negotiations could be very interesting when you see this come up and you're like, well, now the now you're gonna have owners and everyone else thinking like, well, this is now potential possibility that we could have another set of players who can defraud us. Maybe not for the healthcare, but maybe for something else. Should we pull back? You know, even though we're getting all these TV rights, what are we going to do now? So it's not a good look for these guys, obviously. I mean, especially with regards to like the the legal ramifications behind it. But it was just I find it I find it comical, even though it's not necessarily comical, that millionaires are just going out there asking for two hundred eighty thousand dollars and going about it in just like not even like a discreet way. Like you're not even doing it in a smart way. Like like why at, w- at what point was this even worth your time to go do that like that's yeah. that's just the bigger question like why would you even take the time the energy the space the <laughs> atmosphere as my guy ricey would say <laughs> to go do this? speaking of speaking of why the hell you'd waste our time alex wolf i have to ask you are the jets wasting their time with mr zach wilson I don't think they're wasting their time. I mean, you know, I, so I, I, I advertised before we started recording my, my spicy take from the draft, which was, I was a Trey Lance guy. I was, I was very much on the Trey Lance. Such an interesting one. I I think you're the first (laughs) Jets fan to ever hear say, not, not tank for Trevor, like obviously probably you did want to tank for Trevor Lawrence, but it's like Trevor Lawrence or it's like Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. It was probably like, Mm in that order that people were like asking for. All right. Yeah. And then it was like, you're coming out here with, with Trey Lance. And it's like, huh? Like, yeah, everyone's yeah. looking at you. Everyone's looking at you kind of funny. It's just like, you sure yeah. about that thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't hate, I didn't hate fields either. Um, I'm just not, I don't, I don't know what it is about Wilson that I'm not totally sold on. Um, you know, it, it, you didn't like high school musical. It's okay, man. Look, he that's looks part like he's, of it. He's, yeah, yeah, that's part. Yeah. Of, he does look very high school musical. <laughs> the, you know, the the other thing though is just I thought that Lance had all the physical tools. So like, if the Jets could have just, I mean, how many 
how many journeymen are out there that you can just sign for a year? You know what I mean? Or, I mean, I guess they could have kept Darnold for one more year. That just would have been really awkward, though. Like, I'm glad they just kind of put that situation to bed. But just sign a journeyman for one year. Let Lance develop, you know, come in with zero expectations. Get him five starts at the end of the year or something like that, you know, and see how it goes. And then work in some gadget plays for him. Get him on the field just like the Niners were doing. You know, I I just I think that he's I think he's got the tools like he looks to me. And I mean, I think some of this is kind of borne itself out a little bit. You know, it's going to take some time, obviously, because they're both rookies. So I'm not willing to pass judgment on either yet. But when I was looking at Lance and like what he can do and his skill set, my first thought was like, this is like a modern day Donovan McNabb if he works out. And I loved Donovan McNabb as a player. Like I thought he was one of the most one of the most entertaining and talented players I've ever seen in my life. Um, so I, I think I was I, I think that's sort of where I was looking with him. Um, but with the Jets in general, I mean, I don't know. I, I know this start's been rough to this year, but anyone who thought they were going to make the playoffs or something is was kidding themselves. I, I mean, I saw some people out there being like, <laughs> did you think they were? Oh, no, not they don't really think. Like, I wouldn't like, yeah. you know, I'm not going to like fight you to it, but I was like, you know, hoping like, you know, there's an extra wild card, yeah. extra game, you know, maybe mm-hmm. just like sneak that the division's kind of whack. Like, you know, yeah. I thought uh, if no, absolutely <laughs> everything went right, Maybe they could have competed for a playoff spot, yeah. but I, I do think that a lot of people kind of went into it with Wilson thinking like, oh, they took him because he's more ready. So obviously that means that he's going to be like Patrick Mahomes from day one. Yeah. And, you know, it, then there's all those quotes that came out, you know, all the like all the various analysts being like, oh, my God, during preseason, he looks the best of any quarterback I've ever seen looking <laughs> in preseason training camp ever. You know, he's going to be the second coming of the second coming. Like and just, Mahomes. Yeah, another Mahomes. About to say. You know, it's just I just I don't I don't see it. Um, yeah, you know I I always thought it was going to take at least a year. You know, rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. That's just how it works. He's had his flashes so far. He had that. He's he's dimed up a couple guys with some really nice passes, and he's thrown some really shitty ones, um, and had some really terrible games. So I think you just got to take the good with the bad. You just got to hope that he's. I mean, I will say the one thing about him is he does seem made pretty well for the bright lights. Yeah. So I don't think that he's gonna have the issues like what Darnold had, where I just think that Darnold struggled with that spotlight um, and with the constant, the constant scrutiny of this media market and everything. I do think Wilson is pretty well prepared for that. He seems to be able to just let things roll off his back and not really let that affect his confidence or his long-term. Like he's very much like a next play type of guy, I think, Mm -hmm. which I don't think Darnold ever was. I mean, there's a, I'll never forget my whole life and neither will probably like any Jets fan, the, uh, the obscene ghosts quote from Sam Darnold live on television, you know, that they, that they, for whatever reason decided to air, it's also on ESPN for kind of being assholes and airing that quote. Cause that's yeah, not the type of thing about, you put out we there. We know all about those guys. Yeah. But you know, they did that live during a game too. I'm like, come on, it's nothing sacred. <laughs> like, I know you've got them mic'd up, but like, come on. <laughs> and then like, um, I mean, honestly, and then Kyle Van Noy, like tried to do, like tried to bring that up again this year. That like really pissed me off actually. Yeah. I, I hate like, the Patriots. Come on, Van Noy. Like you stink. Yeah. Like you guys, you guys are so bad. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know. Like really, like you got Mac Jones. You got my man yeah, like, Porco over here, and you're congrats. All like, you beat up on the Jets. Like good job. That's the only team. <laughs> right? like, that's the only team. Like they barely beat the Texans last week. But whatever. Yeah, exactly. I digress. So, do, do, so you, you think? Uh, you think we're okay? You think we're okay with Zach? Right. I personally, I, I think he's getting a lot of scrutiny, man. I, I think it's. I think nobody is really caring the fact that we have rookie offensive coordinator who's never done it rookie mm-hmm. head coach who's never done it you're like, without back 
Yeah, like, you know, we're missing our star left tackle. Youngest, missing, youngest NFL team. <laughs> youngest yeah. Most rookies, our star, you know, uh, defensive lineman that we signed gets hurt. Our another defensive lineman that we signed gets hurt. Our star, mm-hmm. you know, the linebacker that we signed gets hurt. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't our know. safety doesn't uh, want to play for us anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Our safety is being annoying. You know, he's, about to, write, he's about to write a slanderous piece. <laughs> what um, do you how, <laughs> Like, one, of your most, one of your other most important skill positions is a rookie too, like with Elijah Moore. I mean, yeah, like everything's yeah. tough. We have no tight end. It, it, it's definitely tough out here, but I'm still, uh, I, so I'll say this. Weirdly this my, optimistic. Yeah. This was my thing. Right. And, and we talk about this stuff, I think more with the NBA because the NFL just seems to always have this magical clause that you can just bend the salary cap to your will. Um, <laughs> but like like the Saints did for years when they had like half the salary cap and dead money yet still could manage to pay yeah yeah like yeah could still could manage to pay Drew Brees and a whole team somehow and had the team be like title contenders every year I don't whatever like but, the Rams signed Jalen Ramsey like yeah. they don't care at all Aaron Donald Stafford oh yeah, yeah no problem but yeah, yeah just yeah. come on in <laughs> but yeah Woody Johnson is like the Oklahoma City uh, Thunder out here he's like whoa how much yeah. are you paying this guy Yo, yeah. <laughs> But like, like I will say, I think it's smart the strategy that they took in these last two drafts, and I think it's going to set them up well for these next few years. Where they drafted really four, if you count Elijah Moore too, four of the highest priced positions in football. Mm-hmm. They drafted and spent good good draft capital on, and so they have, you know, they have uh, Becton still with, including this year, four years on his rookie deal. Uh, you have Wilson. And Vera Tucker with five years. You have more with five years as well, I believe, as a second mm-hmm. round pick. I think they yep. signed the same, same deals. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, you lock up. If those guys work out, you have them all those high value, high leverage positions that teams have to make really difficult decisions about all the time locked in on value contracts until you have to make the difficult decision on them. And you can build out like a great team around them in the meantime. And so. You know, I'm not rushing things. I don't, you know, I, I think some people came into this year. I mean, I think you had, it sounds like you had a reasonable expectation of if things break the right way, maybe the Jets will do this. Some people I think are already right, willing to be like, the rebuild sucks, cancel it, start over <laughs> again. Like Zach Wilson's been bad for five games, you know, whatever, like throw it out. We're done. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. stupid. That is so stupid. Like, and if any of those are Knicks fans, I want to just like slap them in the face and be like, what have you learned? Have you learned nothing? Like if you're just a little bit patient, things can work out for you. You know, if you get the right person in charge, which I think football, it's a lot harder, you know, basketball, you can turn around on a dime. So like the Knicks get Leon Rose and now things are looking pretty good after two years because he signed the right coach. Your roster is a lot smaller. One player makes a way bigger difference in the NBA than they do in the NFL. The NFL takes years to build up you know, a successful program and they're doing it by filling the positions that cost the most money with the players that cost the least, but that also requires being patient. And I I think that's just lost on so many people in in New York sports too. It's like the same thing. I'm also a Mets fan and and the same thing happened with the Mets this year. Maybe it was slightly more justified from fans to be pissed this year with the Mets, but like you get, you know, you've been begging for years for a new ownership group. You finally get it. You get the richest owner in baseball. And one of his first things, he goes out and gets you a star shortstop and spends an ass ton of money to keep him there for 13 years. And yet 
because, you know, things didn't completely turn around in one year, people were already like, oh, Cohen's no better than the Wilpons. He sucks. You know, this, that, the other. It's like, learn a little patience, people. Like, I yeah. think that we've, I think we've learned in New York sports sure. to like, to stop being so freaking moody, you know, just, just <laughs> live with it a little, you know, <laughs> just live with the, the shitty years. And then you get rewarded with some good ones. If you, if you trust like shout good out, management. Shout teams. out to the Knicks. Yeah. Shout out to the Knicks, you know, shout out to the Knicks for sure. Yeah. And no, I agree with you, Alex. Like last was it not too long ago. I said, you know, we finally hosed down this dumpster fire and now yes. we can actually start <laughs> like now it, it still stinks. It's going to stink for a while. Now you can actually start like, cleaning this stuff up and actually I think we had like some industrial strength for breeze because I don't smell anything anymore <laughs> with the mix, you know? It smells like roses over here. I, I they're like they must be doing like planet fitness with the backpacks, you know, spraying the sanitizer oh everywhere because I don't I don't smell anything anymore. Oh that that's good. But Alex, <laughs> thank you for your time today, man. Really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun talking with you again. All aspects of the mix, talking NBA, talking New York Jets, because of course we gotta get some Jets topics in here. But please let our listeners know where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so if it, uh, if it, you did a great job at the beginning, uh, you probably remembered some things that I forget to bring up. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Alex Wolf. Uh, definitely check out the Strickland. That's the strict.land, uh, or the, at the Strickland on Twitter. Uh, we also have a Patreon now, which we're, we were really excited to launch. We have some like exclusive podcasts to come out on there. Uh, Schwinny Poo, who was just on here recently. Uh, does a lot of work in the podcast front there and, and you get to hear his voice a lot more. Uh, also like there's a tier where you can get some exclusive new articles from two of my favorite writers of ours, uh, Jack Huntley and Matt Miranda. So mm. they're fantastic. Um, so definitely check out our Patreon, check out the merch store, which I like made sure to wear some stuff. There's like Strickland snapback hats. We got, this is like one of the OGs, but like RJ Barrett hoodies, uh, all kinds of cool stuff on there that, uh, the strickland.bigcartel.com is our, our shop there. Um, also, of course, check out Locked on Knicks if you want to hear my voice more. Uh, we're like five days a week now in season. So we're, Ooh, we're bringing you five. So five yeah, Here we go. On, baby. Lots so of podcasts. Uh, five podcasts a week from Locked on Knicks. So definitely check that out. That's at Locked on Knicks, wherever you get podcasts. Soon to be on YouTube, uh, which is why I've got a whole little setup now. Uh, I'm going to be drawing stuff on my like chalkboard thing on the show. I've, I've decided that's going to be part of the thing here. Um, and then uh, also, yeah, my work for clutch points, which I'm starting to do this year, uh, waiting on my credential to officially be accepted, but then I should be at the garden covering the games for them and writing that'll show up on uh, clutchpoints.com. And uh, that should be a lot of fun too. So lots of stuff, lots of stuff going on. I think I got all of it. Um, also check out posting and toasting too. I, I, I think I'm officially kind of stepping down from there after a long run, but they also put out good work too. So definitely check that website out, but that's it. I did it. I made it through the whole thing. <laughs> you did it. You did it's like, good. it's like decent Merrill doing out their closing outro for like their yes, podcast. The, the AKAs and everything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Alex, for coming on. Everyone, please make yeah. go, make sure to go check out his work. He does an awesome job. I didn't even get to mention that you used to write for uh, Sports Illustrated Nick's site uh, oh, at yeah. the beginning too. You used to do that too. You did. Mm-hmm. You did uh, the following work for a while. For a while, man, you do awesome stuff. But make you. sure to check out Alex Wolf, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in for another long episode. You can, if you get guys from the Strickland on here, it's going to be a long episode. Just just be prepared for that. So thank you all again for tuning in for another Nick's Jets, etc. 
podcast of the next episode. Mess that one up, but it's all good. Make sure <laughs> next to, episode it, of the Nick Jetson Center podcast, Alex. There you go. Thank you for clearing up for me. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and if you listen to this on Apple Podcast, please make sure to give us a five star review. Please make sure to leave a comment that helps us out oh so dearly. And if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcast, it's okay. It truly is okay. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Alexa, Stitcher, you name it. We are there. On top of that, we are also on YouTube. Please make sure to subscribe, hit the like button, and hit that notification bell. Last but certainly not least, please make sure to follow us on all social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for another Knicks episode of the Knicks Jets Etc. podcast. We'll catch you later this week for another Jets episode. God help us. Let's go, Knicks. <laughs> <laughs>